All right. If you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one like this close by you. Uh, You're welcome to use this. If you don't have a Bible at home, this is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have the Word of God available to you at all times. If you are using the Red Bible, John chapter 8 is on page 521, but we'll actually be switching real quick from John 8 to John chapter 9, so that's on 522. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these seven statements from Jesus in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is making claims about who he is and what he is here to do. And we've said every week that how you answer that question, what you think about who Jesus is, has the power to change your life. So who do you say that Jesus is? In this chapter, this section, we're going to see that Jesus says he is the light of the world. And that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But if Jesus is the light... If, if following him leads to life rather than darkness and death, well, it begs the question, why would anyone ever choose not to follow Jesus? I mean, if this is true, that by following Jesus, you can have life to the abundance and forever, why would anyone not believe? Maybe you've asked that question You know, why do some people believe in Jesus and other people don't? Maybe you grow up and you had a friend and you've wondered, why why am I following Jesus but this person isn't? I mean, we, we grew up in the same community. We went to the same school. We even maybe went to the same church growing up. But why, why is that person not following Jesus now? Or maybe you have a family member and you've wondered, why have they not seen the glory of Jesus and believed in him. What's going on? Maybe you're asking that now. You've got a friend who isn't yet following Jesus. Why do some people follow Jesus and others don't? That's what we're going to look at today. That's what John chapter 8 and 9 is going to talk about. And as we try to find an answer to that question, there's actually three other questions that we'll see answered in this passage that will help enlighten our understanding of why some people see the light and follow Jesus and others don't. And so if you have your bulletin out and want to follow along with notes, here are my three questions that we'll be looking at. First question is, why can't we follow Jesus on our own? Second is, what does it take to follow Jesus? And the third question is, how do I know that I'm following Jesus? So why can't we follow Jesus on our own? What does it take to follow Jesus? And how do I know if I'm following Jesus? Let's read, starting in John chapter 8. We're going to be bouncing around a lot, actually, so if you want to follow in your bulletin that has the precise verses, that's where we'll be. Starting in verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in chapter 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work for the works. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And they brought the they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division amongst them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we so blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would open our eyes so that we may see the light of life in your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So first, why, why can't we follow Jesus on our own? Well, to put it simply... We're blind, we're stumbling in the darkness, and we can't see. And that's the essence of this passage. We are blind, and we are stumbling in the darkness, and we can't see. A few years back, my wife Sarah and I, we were living in India. I've talked about that a few times. Uh, We had this great chance while we were in India to visit the Taj Mahal. I mean, you've seen pictures, but until you see it in person, it just, it's beautiful. It's, it's radiant. The sun glistens off of the white stone, blinding your eyes. It is glorious. But actually, in the city of Agra, where the Taj Mahal is, the Taj Mahal is, is one of a handful of tombs that are beautifully ornate for you to go and visit. And there's this other tomb that we visited on that trip and it was called the Tomb to Akbar the Great. And uh, it's this red stone tomb, similar in size and structure, but a little bit smaller than the Taj Mahal. And in the center building of the Tomb of Akbar the Great, there is this opening with a ramp that descends down into the earth. And it's down this ramp, inside of a room, the, the actual tomb exists. 
And now this tomb was built back in the early 1600s. And so there's no electricity in this whole complex. And the entrance to this ramp is already enclosed inside of the main building. And so when you're down in this room under the earth, in this dark room, and a cloud covers the sun, it goes pitch black. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Have you ever experienced that? Darkness so deep that you can't see what's right in front of you. That's what Jesus is saying about us. That we are blind since birth and we can't even see what's right in front of us. We are spiritually blind. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to be spiritually blind? I, I think of uh, an alcoholic who has given themselves over to using the substance again and again and again. Maybe at first it just started with one more drink here or one more drink there. Maybe there was anxiety or stress that took them to that drink and then they felt better after drinking. And so it became like a medicine to numb them from the pain of life. But it becomes this downward spiral where they keep going back and back and they become dependent on this drink for life, to get through the stresses of the day. And they think, hey, what I'm doing in the privacy of my home at night after work, it's not affecting anyone else, right? And that person is blind to the reality that they are choosing destructive patterns and they don't realize the damage that it is causing in their relationships with friends and family or even at work and out in society. They are blind to what's right there in front of them. They just don't see it. Or I think of a friend, a college student, philosophy major at Case Western. I met a couple years ago. And this guy was so blinded by the desire to gain the approval of his parents, his teachers, his friends, that he stretched himself so thin. I mean, he was taking a full course load. He was a teacher's assistant. He had two part-time jobs. He jumped from relationship to relationship. He was just so full and busy with his life. And I asked him, what's going on? He said, I don't find joy in these things. I have to find something else to fill me. This man was blind to the joy that can come from education and relationships and friendships. But his desire for people's approval, his, his desire to be accepted by one another blinded him to what was right there in front of him. He was exhausted. Or, or think of any kind of addiction, whether it's work or alcohol. I mean, drugs, pornography, gaming. I, I had friends in college, roommates, that would just go hours and hours into days playing games out of this desire, this thrill of winning. I mean, they wouldn't eat meals. They wouldn't go to class. They wouldn't go to work. This downward spiral, it ruined friendships. It ruined their life, and they were blind to it. Any kind of addiction can lead to being blind to what's right there in front of you. But that's not the only symptom of spiritual blindness. Our call to confession from 1 John says that to walk in darkness, it's not just to be, you know, addicted to something. It's to have secret sins. 
To walk in darkness is to say, I'm going to do this in the shadows where no one can see it. To keep something hidden as if God didn't know what was going on. When my wife and I lived in St. Louis, our house had a back alley, like a service road. It's where our garage was. And the light wasn't good back there. And so, you know, frequently there were some, you know, shady business going down in the back alley because it was dark. They could hide. They could get away with it. But when the light comes on, you, know, you scurry away into the darkness. When, when light tries to expose what's going on, you hide even more. Have you ever like, turned on the light to your basement and you see like a little bug crawl from the middle to the wall? You know, it's trying to scurry away from the light. That's what we do with our sin. To walk in darkness is to harbor secret sins. But there's one other way that we walk in the darkness. Scripture, scripture says that we are dark. We were born blind. This is part of our nature. Scripture says that we were born in sin. Not, not that we were born with a desire for sin, which is true, but that we were born with a sinful nature. By default, our heart is against God. The Apostle Paul says that no one searches after God by default. No one. Friends, the reason why we can't follow Jesus on our own is because we are blind and stumbling in the darkness. Whether that's an addiction or harboring secret sins or simply refusing to acknowledge that God is real. That's why we can't follow Jesus on our own. So that leads me to the next question. What does it take? What does it take then to follow Jesus? Well, we need to be like the blind man. We, we need to have someone open our eyes. We need to have someone show us the truth that is right there in front of us. Look with me at verse 6 and 7. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. We need someone to open our eyes to experience what this man experienced. Jesus took mud and he covered his eyes and told him to go wash Go clean, and he did, and he could see. I love what John Calvin says about this mud on the eyes. John says that Jesus took mud and put it on his eyes so that the man would be doubly blind, so that he would know and that we would know that we need not just physical sight, but spiritual sight, that we need not just to be able to see the world, but to see the truth of who Jesus is. We need someone to open our eyes. The Greek philosopher Plato, he tells this story. It's really a parable. It's called the cave. If you took any philosophy class, you know Plato's cave. Here's how it went. Plato says, imagine there's this cave, and on inside of this cave, there's, there's a row of prisoners 
who are shackled. Their hands and their legs and their necks are shackled. And they've been there since childhood. This is all they've ever known. And their faces are towards the back of the cave. And all day, every day, all they see is what's on the wall. Because behind them, there's a fire. There's a fire outside of the cave. And between the fire and the cave, people and animals carrying different things come and go. Normal day happens. And all these prisoners ever see is the reflection from the fire on the wall. All they see are shadows. But to them, that's reality. To them, that's all they they know to be true. In many ways, they are blind to the truth but they think that they see. And then Plato continues. He says, now imagine if someone went up to one of the prisoners and unlocked them and brought him outside of the cave. Imagine what would happen to that prisoner. I mean, he would, yes, see the light, but his world would just explode. He would see truth for the first time. I mean, his eyes would hurt adjusting to the beauty of the world, but he'd be enlightened to know that what he thought was the truth before was just merely a shadow of the reality. Friends, that's what we need. We need someone to unlock our chains, to open our eyes so that we can see the true light and follow him. The blind man is not the only blind person in this story. The Pharisees are also blind, and they need to be set free. Look at their blindness. Look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said to, about Jesus, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? They are blind to what is right there in front of them. They have seen the work of Jesus bringing sight to a blind man who has never seen in his life, and they say, no. They're staring at the cave wall. They need to be set free. They simply can't see and believe what is staring them right in their face. What they need is someone to unlock their chains They need to have happen to them what happened to the blind man. They need to have an encounter with the Savior Jesus. What does that look like? What does it look like to have an encounter with Jesus that results in believing in him? Well, let's look at the life of the blind man. He was born blind. He was desperate. He was in a posture of desperation to know that there was something else out there. And when Jesus made himself known to him, it was the answer to what he was looking for all along. He was willing to say, the life I'm living now is not reality. This can't be it. There has to be something more. And so that when Jesus says, go and wash, he is willing to obey no matter what. The Pharisees think that they know the truth, but they're wrong. They're not desperate enough to see the truth that's standing right in front of them. 
But I think that our song that we just sang, Come Ye Sinners, is so important. I apologize about the lyrics being messed up there, but this is one of the lines from that song. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. An encounter with Jesus doesn't say, hey, pick up your life and then come follow me. Get everything together and then come follow me. No, it says, I'm desperate for a savior and my life is falling apart. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's going on. Jesus, I need you. Jesus says, come and experience the light of life. Now, anyone who has seen the light, anyone that's seen the light of life and has believed in him and followed him, this story gives us two responses. Two responses that need to be true of anyone that has seen the light and is following Jesus. The first is to have tremendous humility. The blind man What's different about this blind man's story than any other blind man's story in the New Testament? Because Jesus has done this a couple times. Usually, when Jesus is walking and there's someone who needs healed, they cry out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, have mercy on me. But in this story, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't even know what's going on, and Jesus comes up to him. Remarkable, tremendous humility that Jesus took the initiative to come and open up his eyes. I mean, if we're blind, we have no power to make ourselves see. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that he shines his light into our hearts and gives us sight. How dare we, when we look at a friend or a family member who does not believe, how dare we if we ever think how much better we are than them? You and they were both blind. And by the mercy of God, he opened your eyes. Tremendous humility. But the second response, the second response that is not only appropriate, but expected of anyone that has seen the light is to have a deep, loving desire to share the truth of the light of the world with those who are in the dark. Plato's analogy continues. The prisoner who's been set free, he sees the world, and what does he do? He runs back into the cave to unlock his friend's chains. He runs back in and says, this is not true. Come into the light. Come see the world. For anyone who has seen the light of Jesus and has experienced life in him, we need to have a deep and loving desire to share that truth with those who are in the dark. It is the inevitable response to coming into the light. I would venture to say that if you do not yet have a heart that is deeply hurting for lost friends, and neighbors who are in the dark, then I might even question whether or not you've experienced the light yourself. Because the inevitable result of seeing the light is to bring others into it. So do you see the light? 
Do you see Jesus? Do you see his glory and his radiance that he is the light of the world? Do you follow him out of the darkness and into the light? That's the question. So how do we know if that's true of you? How do we know if we're following the light, if we've come into the light? What does that look like? Maybe you've wondered that for yourself. Maybe you're wondering today, am I really following the light? Is this true of me? Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've always told people, yeah, I'm a Christian. But there are times where you wonder, man, my heart doesn't necessarily line up with what I say with my words. So how do we know? How do we know if we are following Jesus? Well, Jesus gives us a test. He actually gives us a test to determine if we're following him or not. And it's right here in verse 39. Jesus says that he has come into the world for judgment. He has come into the world to bring a test. And this is the test. He goes on, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is the test that Jesus has come in to give us. Jesus is the light of the world. When you see the light of Jesus, does it make you see everything clearly, or does it blind you? You might ask, how does light blind? I don't know about you. I was driving down Mayfield Road this morning. The sun was rising. There was a little speck of water on my windshield, and the sun rays hit that speck in such a divinely providence way that it blinded me, and I couldn't even see the stoplight. Have you ever had that? You're you're driving, and the sun is so bright, something that is designed to shed light and bring clarity. It is so bright that it blinds you to see that you can't see what's right there in front of you. Jesus said he has come into this world as a light so that those who don't see can see and that those who think they see will be blinded. That's what he says in verse 39. He is the light of the world. He is so glorious. He is so radiant that you will either see him clearly or he will blind you. Or to put it another way, when you look at a cross, When you look at a cross, whether it's at a church, maybe you're driving down the road and you see a steeple, or or you pass a friend and you see their cross necklace, or you're visiting a friend and in their house they have a cross on their wall, or even just when you're reading the Bible and it says the word cross and in your head you have this picture of a cross, when you see the cross of Christ where he was lifted up and glorified, do you see that he is radiant, or do you think that he is ridiculous? That's the test. When you look at the cross, does it bring radiance, or is it ridiculous? The cross is radiant. When you know and believe that on the cross, Jesus died as a substitute for you, The the cross is radiant when you know that when his hands were nailed to the cross, your sin was nailed to the cross. The cross is radiant 
When you know that when his blood was shed, it was to purify you from your shame and guilt of secret sin. Is the cross radiant to you? Or is it ridiculous? Is it just a symbol of the end of someone's life? Is it, is it just the symbol of a crazy religion that nutjobs believe in? Is it just a Roman torture device? Is the cross radiant or is it ridiculous? That's the test. If it's radiant, then that means that you've seen the light and you're following him into it. But if it's ridiculous, you're in the darkness. So how do we move from the darkness to the light? How, how do we see the cross as radiant? What does it look like to look at Jesus and say, he is the light of the world? You have to know and believe and treasure in your heart that what took place on the cross, what took place on the cross brought you life. All of the gospels tell us this. That when Jesus died, he died at three o'clock in the afternoon when the sun was shining. And as he died, darkness fell upon the earth. It blotted out the sun. In the middle of the day, darkness came upon the earth that blotted out the sun. And as he gave up his last breath, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus was experiencing on the cross was darker than any tomb you could find, any cave you might be trapped in. What Jesus experienced was the darkness of death, not just physical death. He experienced spiritual death. He experienced separation from the life of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason he did that, the reason why he experienced death was because on him, your blindness, your sin, your addictions, your shame, your guilt were on him. He experienced the darkness of death. So that when you believe in him, you would have the light of life. And when you know that's true, that your sin is now on him and his life is now yours. Every time you look at the cross, it will be radiant. Jesus is the light of the world. So that anyone who follows him will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we do not deserve your love. We are blind in our sin. We are stumbling in the darkness. But praise be to you that you sent light to open our eyes, to lead us to life.
We pray, Lord, through your spirit, that we would be people of the light, children of the light, lights in the darkness around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.